All right, what is up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. I uh, got a very special episode here for you today, at least uh, special to me. It's got to do with my favorite movie director of all time, and that is Quentin Tarantino. That is my man. Everybody knows that. So, without further ado, I'm going to be going through uh, just some of my favorite Tarantino movies. I'm going to give some honorable mentions here before I start, just because, you know, they're not really, they're not really my big favorites, and so I'm going to give a shout out to Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, and, um, what was the other one? I can't even remember the other one, but they're, they're just, they're not my style of Tarantino films, but I know a lot of people that love the Kill Bill movies. I'm just not that into them myself. Uh, so, like I said, I'm going to be going through the ones that really had an impact on me. And it was honestly, truly Tarantino films that inspired me to want to be a director. So, first one I'm going to jump into here is Reservoir Dogs. This is Tarantino's debut film. And honestly, the film only had a budget of $1,200,000, which sounds like a decent-sized budget, but it really isn't, especially with the cost that you have, with the cast that you have in the film. The cast members actually had to provide their own wardrobe. From the beginning, you were introduced to a screaming Tim Roth, who's bleeding all over the back of a car, and Harvey Keitel is driving the vehicle, trying to provide words of comfort to Tim Ross' character, who, unbeknownst to him, is actually a mole trying to take down the crew of professional heist men. What makes this film so great is not the action or the violence, but truly the dialogue, which is what Tarantino always does best. The relationship between all the robbers and the development of the relationship Tim Roth forms with Harvey Keitel and and with yeah is is really what drives this movie. The robbers begin doubting each other as they know that there is a mole because the cops showed up just a little too quickly. And we see several scenes of you know, it, it's, you know, we see scenes of Tim Roth literally rehearsing, trying to come up with his own character to infiltrate the, this gang or group of robbers, professional thieves, and honestly, gotta love the soundtrack. Something Tarantino excels at is putting music that you would not think fits in one of his films but actually does fit. He makes it work. And Reservoir Dogs wasn't the first Tarantino film I had seen, but it was one that I watched after I had seen Pulp Fiction, and I was just like, I gotta see everything this guy has ever made. So I found Reservoir Dogs, thank God they had it on Netflix at the time, and I watched it, and I mean, I just fell madly in love with it. I mean, you got uh, Joe Buscemi, you know, like I said, you've got Harvey Keitel, who is just all around, just that, 
he's always the amazing gangster type. You know, he's he's just that stereotype, but at the same time, it the the part the parts that he usually plays are just like literally made for him. So, I mean, I fell in love with this film like I said, not just because like, you know, the torture scene of the cop or you know, the the shootouts or anything like that, but really just the interactions that each character has and just the development of the story and the build. It's just perfect. Um, so I, this is a really big one that I enjoy. Definitely check it out if you can. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is honestly towards the beginning. You have the dialogue scene where Quentin Tarantino himself is talking about the song Like a Virgin. And he's saying that song is all about dick, 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 dick. And he's saying that, you know, oh, the, the whole song is about, you know, she's had a bunch of guys before. But she meets this cat that's just so big, so huge that it hurts. It hurts her. Hence the name of the song, Like a Virgin. And Madonna actually wrote Quentin Tarantino and said that, while I enjoy your movie, the song is actually about love, which I just think is ironic and funny. Uh, but yeah, like it's just it's it's the natural dialogue, especially like I said in that beginning scene. They're all at a breakfast diner, and then you get Joe Buscemi, who all of a sudden goes into this whole dialogue about how he doesn't tip. And they sit there and say, well, you know how much these servers and waitresses are making? They make shit. So you better tip. And he goes, well, what about the people at McDonald's? They tell you not to tip them, but they don't make much more either. Society says, hey, guys, tip these guys over here, but not these guys over here. It makes no sense. And that totally fucking resonates in my mind. I remember working at... Um, well, they're shut down now, so I'm just going to fucking say it. At an Orchard Supply hardware store as a loader or a pickup, they called it. And, you know, we're loading fucking concrete, heavy bags of soil, bricks, fucking 300-pound grills. And these people wanted to tip us because we were busting our ass, but they said that we were not allowed to accept gratuities. And in my opinion here... You know, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but this is why I enjoy Tarantino films is because he makes you question the reality of things and the normal world that we live in, even though his movies are really not normal. And, you you know, it, it made me sit there and think like, you know, these people are willing to give us their money for the service that we're providing them. They see that we're working hard. Why not? Why can't we accept gratuities? It's just something that never made sense to me. So I guess those corporate guys way above who are no longer with us uh, or with the company, you know, I guess they have bigger brains than I do because I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe I'm just that stupid. Who fucking knows? Anyway, but like I said, without further ado, if you can ever check out Reservoir Dogs, it's definitely a great film to check out. Uh, next one I'm going to jump into is The Hateful Eight. This was another Tarantino Spaghetti Western, and it focuses, again, on bounty hunters like Django. Uh, 
our two main protagonists, we're going to have Kurt Russell and re recurring Tarantino film star Samuel L. Jackson. They find themselves trapped in a blizzard at what they call Minnie's Haberdashery. And there are several hints that Sam Jackson gets throughout the movie before shit hits the fan that he's just like, no, nah, something, something's not right here. These cats are lying. And then as the story progresses, even Kurt Russell goes, well, he's he's got this bounty, Daisy Domergu, but he's got this weird belief where unlike most bounty hunters during that era, unlike most of them, he believes in keeping his bounties alive until they see the hangman. He wants to see them hang because he feels that that is true justice. So he holds on to them patiently until they get their justice. But he starts to realize without any hints from Sam Jackson himself that there's somebody, at least one person, in cahoots, as they keep saying in the movie, with Daisy Domergu trying to break her out. And there's a lot, a lot of strong scenes in this movie and a lot of strong dialogue. Again, Tarantino, that's his strong suit. And here we have two characters, um, one played by Walton Goggins, who plays uh, Chris Mannix, who's this, he's supposed to be the new sheriff in this town called Red Rock, which is where Kurt Russell is taking his bounty to be hanged. And, of course, Sam Jackson and Chris Mannix have a history because Chris Mannix fought on the south side of the war. And so there's this massive tension between them, and they're always bickering with each other. But once Kurt Russell dies, spoiler alert, um, you get a... You start to see these two kind of team up, and they actually earn respect for each other towards the end. Now, this is a film, again, spoiler alert, where everybody dies. I'm just going to say it. Everybody dies in this movie. But you, you see these two very, very, very unlikely characters who absolutely hate each other's guts actually work together to solve what's going on. This movie is basically a spaghetti western mixed with a whodunit. And just the whole thing is like a wild ride. It isn't, I'm not going to lie, it's all Tarantino films are pretty long. This is one of his longer ones, and you really, really, really got to wait for the action in this one. Because it kind of all hits at the same time. I would say like the last 45 minutes of the movie is where all the action really starts happening. Um, but to me, there's a, just a really good build to it. And I can get lost in just the interaction of the characters because of how well everybody works together. Um, and, you know, when when the action hits, you're just like, oh, shit. Like, it, it hits you all at one time, and you're just like, fuck, I was not expecting that. And it's not just the plot twist. I mean, it's 
you know, it, it'll leave you with that feeling. And again, it's full of that classic Tarantino dark humor here. We see a lot of that in his movies and it he makes it work. I mean, what can I say? So highly recommend, but not going to be one for everybody. Now, the next one is, again, these are in no particular order here, but this next one I'm going to talk about is probably my second, if not third, favorite Tarantino film, and that is Django Unchained. I truly don't know what there isn't to like about this movie. I mean, I was hooked literally the second that you see uh, Christoph Waltz's character, Dr. Keen Schultz, come onto the screen and we hear that very cheesy, almost stereotypical German accent, which he himself is actually from a neighboring country, Austria. He is just such a charming and fucking lovable character here, guys, which makes his death near the end of the movie so saddening. I know some people claim that the violence and brutality against the slaves was perhaps a little over the top or too hard to watch, but genuinely I feel like that's what the point was here. To show what really was done to so many innocent slaves and so many innocent people in that time period, you know, and yet in this film we see a German who we would not expect to sympathize for Django, who had his wife taken from him and sold to Calvin Candy to be at Candyland. So they decided to team up and come up with an entire scheme to free Django's wife. And I have to, have to, have to give mad props to Leonardo DiCaprio and Carrie Washington for their performances, especially Carrie, because... Her pain and cries are so believable that they bring a tear to my eye every fucking time I watch this movie. And Leo played one of the best villains out there. He makes you hate him with a burning passion, which is obviously the point of this role as the antagonist. Everything from his improvising, his visible anger, and his ability to flip between being charismatic and nice and smiley to this evil human being with no regard for other life other than his own. The action sequences are filmed brutally, but in some scenes, honestly, almost beautifully. There's a scene where Dr. Schultz shoots a man riding a horse, and we see his blood spray on these white roses, sprinkling them with crimson red droplets in slow motion. Some of the blood can be over the top, but I mean... Come on, it's Tarantino. What, again, what are you going to expect here? Definitely, definitely one worth watching if you can stomach some of the gruesome violence that happens here. And I'll add that there is a scene, it's kind of, and Tarantino himself said he made, he filmed the scene much longer, but when he watched it, he realized that he was really going to be scarring his audience with this one. He said he could handle it himself, and he's sure that there are people like myself out there who can handle it, but, you know, I guess even with all the other brutal shit that happens in this movie, that one was just a little too over the top for him, um, and, but you see a slave being ripped apart by these dogs, 
and it's it's pretty brutal. It's pretty hard to watch. Um, but like I said, that's that's part of the emotion in the film, and that is what makes when Django becomes this hero after Doctor Schultz dies. That's what really drives a movie, and you just have that sensation of like, fuck yeah, fucking kill those motherfuckers, yeah. Like, you you finally get a true sense of excitement once things start going in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, again, highly recommend it. Highly, highly, highly recommend this one. Inglorious Bastards is the next one I'm going to talk about. And I have to say, easily the most unique World War II era film I have ever seen to date. I have never seen... Uh, a World War II movie done this way. And I mean, there's nobody else who could do a World War II movie this way. Nobody on the planet. Uh, this, You know, this isn't your Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge or Flags of Our Fathers. Here we see a small unit of men led by Brad Pitt and his extremely cheesy southern accent hatch a plot to assassinate Hitler with Melanie Laurent at a theater. This film is full of ironic and dark humor. You gotta be a little twisted like me to appreciate it. We've got a Hitler who pitches a fit like a child. And again, I reference Brad Pitt. There's actually a scene in the movie where they're faking being these Italian film producers or directors. And Christoph Waltz, again, he plays in this film, but this time he's the antagonist. And he... They think they can pull one over on him by being Italian, unbeknownst to them that, holy shit, this guy's also fluent in Italian. And so he starts speaking to them in fluent Italian, and they're sitting there looking at each other like, uh, uh. And then when the whole conversation ends, you have him say, you have Christoph Waltz say, Arrivederci. And then Brad Pitt just goes, Aria Derchi. Like, he can't even hide his southern accent. And it's the little things like that that you're just like, you gotta laugh at it. No matter how twisted the actual plot of the film is, you gotta be able to sit back and laugh at it. Because it is pretty goddamn funny. Um, and this one, I will say, again, long run time, but... This is probably more of an action-packed Tarantino film. You do see a lot more action in this one than you would in the rest of his realer-than-real universe movies. And so you, it's it's a lot more fun to watch. It's it's you know it's not Kill Bill status, but it's definitely if you're looking for breaks in the dialogue, you know you're you're definitely gonna see it in this one. And it's a pretty fun watch. So, again, good recommendation. If you haven't seen it before, definitely check it out. Uh, last one I'm going to talk about, which, here we go. Big finale. Big one that is my favorite of all motherfucking time. And is truly the film that inspired me to be a director. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, Pulp Fiction. I had to save the best for last, or at least my favorite for last. I on I truthfully told I could probably make an entire podcast just on this film alone. 
all my friends and people that know me know this is my favorite movie of all time. I even have the wallet that says Bad Motherfucker on it. It's my favorite wallet I've ever had in my life. And I pray to God it lasts me until I die. And if it doesn't, I'm just going to get another one. Because I fucking love it so much. So, there is, you know, this is one of those movies where you you don't really have a plot. You know, you it, it's just a story being told in front of you. And a lot of, you could call it a, a mobster movie or a mafia film. But I don't feel like that does it any justice. And not only that, but you also have a non-linear plot line. So this movie is told in several chapters, but the chapters do not are not told in chronological order. And so the 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 beginning really isn't the beginning and the end is really not the end. So you just you you can try I've tried several times to put the chapters in chronological order and you almost can. You almost can. But looking at it it wouldn't work it wouldn't fit i just i don't think it would it wouldn't make the movie as unique and as much of a masterpiece as it is so whenever i watch this movie i'm just completely lost in tarantino's world and it's not this is this is probably even slower than honestly the hateful eight and it's less bloody too it's not nearly as much blood as there is in the hateful eight but here is where we truly truly and i know i've said it already several times in this podcast but here is where we truly see that where dialogue drives a movie and that's that's what makes it so big is just the natural way all of the characters interact with each other and just the beautiful chemistry you see on screen you know and i'm not a big john travolta fan at all like i really can't think of many other movies that i would say oh travolta's the main character i fucking love this movie there's just not a lot of those out there. But with this movie, he definitely earned my respect, I do have to say. And this is also the movie that made me admire Sam Jackson and absolutely made him my biggest fucking role model of all time. His introduction scene and the charm that he uses on Brad and the other boys at that apartment complex when they're sitting down eating Big Kahuna Burger. He's acting all nice and everything and calm and professional. And then he just fucking flips it and is like, I have one question for you. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? And the whole thing just, it, I, you're just like, it, at first, you're just like, huh? What the hell's going on? And then you realize, like, the whole time he was just... It was just a character playing another character. He just totally flipped his personality. And 
you know, that's that's what I absolutely love it about it. And then you have that famous Bible verse, which I have memorized. And I'm not going to embarrass myself or my family members by quoting the Bible verse, even though I do know it by heart. It is my favorite piece of dialogue ever. And it's not when he uses it at the beginning that truly makes it my favorite. My favorite time that he uses it is towards the end of the film with Tim Roth and his wife, Honey Bunny, when they're trying to rob the restaurant. And he uses it in a totally different manner and uses it as a way to kind of guide or you know, give words of wisdom to somebody who's doing the same type of thing that he was himself doing for many, many years. And he realized that, that he realizes that, that he could use it as a lesson for them. And as something to be taken away positively. He sits there and says, I've been saying that shit for years and never really thought much about what it meant. I just thought it was just some cold shit to say when I pop a cap in a motherfucker. And then he goes on to say, you know, maybe it means that I'm the shepherd, you're the weak, and it's the world that's evil and full of tyranny. And I'd like that, but that shit ain't the truth. The truth is you're the weak and I am the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Rango. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. And it's something you just would not expect to see from a character who, in the first chapter of the film, was acting so cold and didn't give a shit about anybody. And, you know, he just has this amazing change of heart. And... You know, after first time after I watched this movie, I was like awe inspired. I let the entire credits roll. The credits finished. Netflix asked me if I was going to watch something else. And I just fucking sat there in a trance because this movie had given me such an existential crisis and so much to fucking think about and it had taken me through such an emotional roller coaster. I mean, I laughed, I cried. I you know, I had a great just a great fucking time watching this movie. And I mean, it even gave me a whole fuck ton of anxiety. You know, when the bitch ODs I fucking I was right there with John Travolta like oh you're fucked bro you're fucked just the whole time you know I would I was just as terrified as he was because I knew exactly what was going to happen to him if Mia Wallace had truly OD'd and not come out of it and this is uh, you know and this is one of those movies where I never hear anybody say oh it's okay you know, I never hear that. It's one of those movies where you either you love it or you fucking hate it. I've never met somebody who was like an in-between. You know, and there there is a very, very, very weird chapter, as which is Bruce Willis's chapter, uh, where Marcellus Wallace is going after him, and then they end up in the basement of this pawn shop with a cop, 
the owner of the pawn shop and this fucking guy who's the gimp who's in a fucking all leather suit with the mask on and the zipper for the mouth and and then you know Bruce Willis breaks out, grabs the katana, comes back down, and then you just see poor Marcellus Wallace getting reamed in the ass for like half a second while the other guy, the owner of the pawn shop, is watching and jacking off. I mean, you're just like, and and you see that door, like that whole chapter, as soon as it fucking happens, you're just like, what? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's not, it's not at all where you were expecting this film to go, but somehow it just fucking works, you know, who, who would have fucking thought other than Quentin Tarantino to put some shit in there like that, you know, it's totally out of whack, but at the same time, it still drives the story, and this is where I believe the movie truly ends, because in this chapter, spoiler alert, we see John Travolta die, and so Bruce Willis's chapter, I feel like, is the true ending of the movie. And, you know, the, the actual ending ending of the runtime chapter is somewhere in the middle. But again, I. It's not for everyone. And I know that a lot of people can't get past the nonlinear plot line, but. This film is just so fucking inspirational. And it is one that will definitely leave you sitting there thinking like, what the fuck is going on? And what the hell am I doing with my fucking life? Like, it's just, it's a wild ride from beginning to end. And I can't, you know, there's nothing else really I can say about it other than it's, you you don't, you don't watch Pulp Fiction you experience it. It's it's honestly just an experience. It's not something you watch. And you have to be ready to experience it. And you have to be in the right mindset to do so. Uh, so again, favorite movie of all time. If you haven't fucking seen it. And if there's any movie out of anything you ever watch if you sit there and go I'm only gonna watch one movie this motherfucker tells me about because he talks way too much about fucking movies I will tell you if you watch any of them watch Pulp Fiction if you haven't because it is awe-inspiring and it's I really can't describe it that well to you guys it's just something you got to go through yourselves and kind of form your own opinion uh, but anyway, it was great talking to you guys. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and like this podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Uh, again, my Snapchat, C-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Feel free to follow me on there and shoot me up with any ideas or critiques. Let me know what you want to talk about next. I'm going to be having a pretty busy weekend here, so I probably won't be able to record it all this weekend. But if any, any ideas for, you know, further podcasts or whatever, like I said, I'm going to be having a pretty busy weekend here. So if you guys have want to shoot me any ideas or critiques or you just want to chat, man, let me know what you're thinking. 
Uh, I'm always available. Just hit me up. Without further ado, you guys have a great day, a great weekend coming up, and I'll talk to you guys later. Peace.